Civil Procedure, we started talking about two topics today. Well, we continued our discussion on supplemental jurisdiction, then we started on removal. I'm actually going to focus on removal in another episode because we only made it to introduce the topic and I want to give a whole overview and later we will have that full overview. It's only a one lecture uh, kind of thing. But supplemental jurisdiction, if you remember, we started introducing it. There's 1331, where people can get into federal courts through federal question jurisdiction. There's 1332, where people can get into federal courts underneath diversity jurisdiction. And then there's 1367, where people can get into federal courts underneath supplemental jurisdiction. And we talked about 1367A and 1367B as we went along with United Mine Workers v. Gibbs. And all that is just saying is that if it can't make it in on its own, well, then we can tag it along with a 1331 claim or a 1332 claim. Ultimately, what we learned from 28 U.S.C. 1367 is that they are all going to be state claims that just don't meet the diversity requirement, the diversity jurisdiction requirement. So that's an overview, just a recap what 13. 67 works. Now we actually start talking about 1367C. <clears throat> 1367C allows a federal court to dismiss a supplemental jurisdiction claim even if it does meet the requirement of a supplemental jurisdiction claim. So even if it can be there, it can still be turned away. And we talked about all those requirements that goes along with that. And I was actually on call uh, today to actually talk about uh, this case that emphasizes this. It's Sanji Ramos versus First Bank Court. What happened here is that it's a Puerto Rico plaintiff suing a Puerto Rico defendant. Mount controversy is not going to be an issue, but ultimately, because there is a lack of diversity, any related state claims need to go in through supplemental jurisdiction in 1367. Well, what happened here is that Ramos was working for First Bank. Uh, she was the attorney, and consequently, because of her position as an attorney, uh, she ended up doing a couple of investigations into the company. She uh, got a tip-off from an outside company saying, that things were going on. She conducted investigations, ultimately discovered that things were going on, and as a result, further investigations continued, but without her this time, and all the wrongdoing of the company was blamed on her. The issue that she had here is that she was an attorney, and so there's client confidentiality, so she couldn't just be a regular whistleblower because of her position that she had at the company. And so she files a couple of claims, First of all, she files a federal claim underneath Title VII for gender discrimination and I believe it was wrongful termination. Anyway, she files those claims underneath Title VII, but she also files several state claims. And those state claims mean, I think it was tortious actions with a contract. There were several state claims that she had listed here. Well, the court goes over this, and they look at the rule, and they say that 1367 allows state claims to be added to a federal claim, 
and here there was a federal claim, so state laws can be added if it comes from the same nucleus of the facts. And note that the facts of this case, all the claims came out of the same circumstances of facts. But underneath 1367C, the federal courts can dismiss the state claims for any of the following reasons. First, if it's a complex state law. Second, if the state law predominates over the federal claims. Third, if the district court dismisses all the federal claims. And fourth, if there's any other compelling reason why the courts would want to exclude jurisdiction from the state claims. Here, the court dismissed the state claims, all of them, the state claims, note, because it was a complex state law, and the state claims predominate over the federal claims. The court focuses on each of these. The predominate makes a lot of sense just because there were the number of the state claims far outweighed the number of the federal claims, but also the scope of the state claims was quite more expansive than the federal claims were. So that alone would have allowed the court to dismiss if they so chose. Additionally, though, this was a complex state law, and the reason for that is because she was an attorney. This was an issue that the Puerto Rican and the federal courts had actually never discussed in regards to Puerto Rico. She was unique. As a result, any state claims that might arise from her unique situation would better be resolved in a state court. And so the federal court here dismissed all the state claims. And they said the federal claim can go forward in this court. And the state claims need to go in in Puerto Rico. I know Puerto Rico is a territory, but for uh, the purposes of when it comes to diversity, jurisdiction, and all that kind of stuff, a citizen of Puerto Rico is considered domiciled there, a citizen of the United States for that purpose, even though they don't have the same uh, voting capabilities as people who are in states. Anyways, so 1367C, just to sum it all up, allows the court to dismiss an otherwise good claim so that it is heard in a state court instead of a federal court. One last thing to note with this is that this only applies to supplemental jurisdiction. You can't do this for diversity jurisdiction. Meaning, courts don't have the discretion to dismiss diversity jurisdiction's claims if it is filed in a federal court. There's a difference between the word shall and may. In 1332, it says the courts shall hear claims of diversity jurisdiction. And in 1367, it says the courts may hear uh, claims of supplemental jurisdiction. And so that means anything that falls underneath 1367C only applies to supplemental jurisdiction claims. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't 
our pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.